And uh, I'd like you to turn to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15, and uh, also I'm going to go to John chapter 9 here in a little bit. Luke chapter 15, and then John chapter 9. Just want to just, um, there'll be maybe other announcements a little bit later. You know, one of the things that's happening in our church here, and it's a great thing that's happening, it really is, it's a tremendous thing, is that we're seeing a lot of new people a part of this church. I, I think every week I have somebody that says, well, you know what, I, I've just been bumping into people, I have no clue who they are. And well, we're going to try to see if we can't remedy that just a little bit and give you a bit of a clue. And uh, be, starting next Sunday morning, actually, and we're, going to, we're going to figure this thing out, but uh, it won't happen at 845 because we have Sunday school in the West Fellowship Hall. But in the West Fellowship Hall, we're going to set up an area where we can take kind of a quick photo of you, of your family, you, your family, and I want to invite anybody who has started coming to this church in the last six or eight months or whatever it's been, and uh, you're kind of new here, uh, I'll leave that up to you, but we want to grab your picture, and then we're going to put up some kind of a display and things like that. It's going to have your name, your children's names, and stuff like that on it, so that when we see you, we will be able to say, instead of saying, hey, you... Uh, we'll be able to do a, hopefully a little bit better than that. And so if you help us next Sunday, and then the Sunday after we're going to do, do the same thing, in case somebody isn't here this uh, next Sunday or whatever it might be. So help us on that. Would you do that? Help us on that. Because uh, we do want to get to know you. We want to, we'd like to have that pleasure. And uh, this is one way to do it. I, I think what we'll try to do is even print this and put this in the newsletter when it gets mailed out so you can study it at home, okay? And because uh, we really, you know, the larger the church grows, the harder it is to do these things. And so we're going to try to see if we can't bridge into that just a little bit. Luke chapter 15, I, I, I want to, <clears throat> message is titled, This is My Story. And uh, this, this, uh, this is a message that's sort of been brewing in my heart for actually really, uh, really several weeks. And I decided uh, early, early this week, and actually probably last week even, uh, I, want to, I want to share this message. And I had a bunch of notes, and I couldn't figure out how do I put these notes together. You know, you, you, you sort of begin to write things down, and none of it makes any sense. And uh, so anyway, kind of work through that. There's a lot of stories in the Bible this was the story of this person. And every time, I, I tell you what, folks, every time a person came in contact with God, the story changed. We're going to hear some stories this morning. I have two people that are going to share uh, a word of testimony about how God changed their life. And I just want you to, I just want you to pick up on this. Because you have a life story. And the thing of it is, and the thing that I run into all the time, is the fact that sometimes people's life stories isn't, isn't really what they had hoped for. Or sometimes it's just all out of kilter. And, 
and everything else. But when we come into contact with God, the life story begins to change. And so that's our focus this morning. This passage in Luke chapter 15 is uh, one, of the, one of the great parables that Jesus, in fact, uh, literary critics of the world agree, basically agree, this is the greatest short story in the world. Right here in Luke chapter 15, what we call the parable of the prodigal son. You kind of know it. Some of you know it, but let, let's just review it really quick. And it's this young guy who says, you know, I just kind of want to live on my own. I want to do my thing. And he goes to his father. He says, I want my inheritance. I'd like it right now. The father agrees to that. And he takes this inheritance. And, you know, he just, he basically he blows the whole thing. The, the Bible describes it in riotous living. And I mean, he just went, he just went crazy. And, uh, uh, you know, just, just doing all kinds of sinful stuff and everything like this. And uh, he had a lot of friends. And, you know, he was buying drinks at the bar and everything like this. And, I mean, they were whooping it up. Well, the problem was the money ran out. And it always does. And he didn't have any money. And also his friends ran out, too, at the same time. Okay, this well dried up. We're leaving. And so they did. And this young guy ends up feeding hogs in a pig pen of a farmer. Now you've got to understand some of the dynamics of this. A Jewish boy in a pig pen feeding hogs. And now he's competing with those pigs for the food they were eating. And this is where the Bible has one of the greatest lines in the New Testament... It says, and he came to his senses. He came to, you know what? If I was down there fighting over food with a pig, I bet it wouldn't take me too long to come to my senses. Well, he came to his senses. He says, if I go back to my father, I would fare a whole lot better being a slave in my father's house than here competing with pigs for food. And he made a decision to go back home. But as a part of that decision, you roll into this story. You find a story of repentance. You find a story of a father that welcomed a son, a smelly, disappointing son, back into the family. No questions asked. You don't have to live up to anything. All you are is my son. And I welcome you. The Bible says they made a big feast. They got everything going. It was a happy time. All of this. And the line that I want you to focus on is verse 32. Luke 15, 32. And the conversation is this. And it was right that we should make merry and be glad. This is the dad that was talking. And by the way, just a little hint here. When you read this parable, read it for yourself after church sometime. The father, the father of this boy, why don't you substitute the idea that this is actually God the Father? This is a parable about our Heavenly Father. He's always on the center stage. 
and he's welcomed this boy back. And his dad said, your brother was dead and is alive again. He was lost and now he's found. This was my story. Today, this is my story. Turn with me quickly to Luke or, or to John chapter nine. In John chapter nine is an interesting story. Jesus runs across a uh, blind guy. It's Sunday morning. It's Sunday morning. They're on their way to church. Here is a blind fellow that they run into. He's been blind since birth, and of course the Pharisees and the, all the religious elite seemed to be following Jesus everywhere he went, and they were looking for ways to trap him. They were looking for ways to trip him up. And it's Sunday morning. Jesus runs across this blind guy, blind from birth, and immediately the discussion begins, well, who sinned? This guy or his parents or something else? You know, because they were used to trying to blame sin on something in the past. And Jesus didn't let him get away with that. He said, look, this man is blind so that the glory of God might be revealed. Then Jesus did something pretty strange. Normally he spoke and blinded eyes open, deaf ears were unstopped. This time he took a little bit of uh, clay that was probably right in the road, a little dab of clay in his hands, and he spit into it, and he made himself kind of a little mud pie. And he took this mud and put it in the eyes of this blind man. He says, now I want you to go to the pool called Siloam and wash in that pool. And when you do, you're going to be able to have sight. That's what the guy did. Sunday morning, he went and to that pool and sight came into his eyes. And he was rejoicing. Guess who wasn't rejoicing, though? That religious crowd. They didn't like it. You know why they didn't like it? Because in their eyes, that was like kneading bread. And that was against the law to do on Sunday morning. And so when he made that little mud, that was sort of like baking bread. Really? Really? Put it in this guy's eye. The guy who is blind, he can now see. And they're upset about this. They're upset. They're genuinely upset. They're just plain ticked off. They're upset at Jesus. They're upset at this guy and everything else. And this guy says this in verse 25. Because they wanted to blame Jesus as a sinner. He says, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I see. You can't beat a testimony of a person standing right in front of you whose life has been radically saved, redeemed, transformed, changed. This was my life. This is my life. And my story begins there. The reason we sung those two songs is pretty simple. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. Fanny Crosby hit it right. 
The other song, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound, that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. I was blind, but now I see. This was my story. This is my story. I think John Newton read my text. This is a message that's broken down into two simple parts. This was my story, and then this is my story. 1 Kings chapter 17 tells us a story of Elijah. Elijah, one of the great prophets of the Old Testament. And uh, this was a man of power, a man of godly insight and wisdom and vision. And he's traveling along the coast of the Mediterranean. And he comes to this little dinky town on the seacoast called Zarephath. And as he kind of walks through this town, he finds a, a widow woman. And this widow was gathering sticks. Widows in that day, in that age, were not cared for. There was no safety net for a widow. There was no social security. There was nothing, nothing, nothing. And this widow had a young son. And we don't know anything about her other than the fact that she was a widow. We don't know her name. And she's mentioned only in this spot in the Bible in 1 Kings 17. And that's it. The Bible says she was gathering sticks. And Elijah said, what are you doing? I'm getting these sticks. I'm going to go home and build a little fire because I've got a little bit of flour and a little bit of oil. And I'm going to make a cake or like bread. And I'm going to eat this and then we are going to die. Now that's a real uplifting moment, isn't it? I mean, to tell you, the future is grim. The future is sad. The future has no hope to it. I am going to die because I have nothing else. So the prophet of God says, well, when you go home, make this cake. Make me a little cake too. And it's, you know, I can sort of, can you surmise the convert? The thought, are you serious? We're going we're gonna to die ourselves and you want something to eat? But something happened. Something happened. Faith and confidence in what God was doing and speaking through this prophet. And this woman went home. She made the little, little loaf of bread or whatever it was to be able to give to the prophet. And the Bible says God continued the flow of flour and of oil. We don't know when it stopped or even if it stopped. But she was provided for divinely. This was my story. Hopelessness, no future. This is my story. I'm going to live on and I'm going to be provided by God. There's the difference. There's the shift in the whole thing. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17. I'm going to turn there real, real briefly here and read you uh, a couple things out of uh, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 17. And the Bible says that, that, the, <clears throat> that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give to you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and in the knowledge 
of him, that the eyes of your understanding be enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of your calling. Think of that. Just, just wrap your head around all of that. There's so much there. But just kind of wrap your mind around that just for a moment. And to realize this is what God is giving to you. God says, I'm going to give you hope. I want, to, I want you to understand what I'm speaking into your life. I want your mind to, to, to literally come alive so that you know what I'm doing as I, as I work in your heart and in your life. That's for us today, saints. That's really for us today. And I know this, I prayed over this congregation this morning, and this is exactly that, that the eyes of our understanding would be enlightened. I mean, we flip the lights on, literally. And that you may know the hope of your calling. God gives, God brings hope. This was my life. This is my story. Remember after the resurrection, two disciples, well, after the crucifixion, I should say, and the resurrection had occurred. <clears throat> but not all of this sunk in real quick. Two disciples walking together on a road to Emmaus. And all of a sudden, the third guy just shows up. I didn't really think too much of it, but he was walking along with them. And as they walked along, the Bible says a few verses later, didn't our hearts burn within us? Because that was Jesus. Two people discouraged, distraught, two people who just didn't understand it, just couldn't grasp it. Why did Jesus die? We were really hoping in him. We were following him, and he, we saw him die. And here he is, right with us. Didn't our hearts burn within us? This was my story. A story of discouragement, a story of I don't know what went wrong, to a story, this is my story. The Bible says they made their way back to Jerusalem fast. This is big news. Jesus was walking with us, and we're excited about that. Philippians chapter 3 in verses 8 and 9, just real quickly here, the Bible says, I count, <clears throat> I count all things <clears throat> lost for the excellence and the knowledge of Christ my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish that I might gain Christ, and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but through faith in Christ, the righteous faith of God. God brings us faith. God brings us his righteous faith. And he implants that, embeds that in our hearts and our minds <coughs> and into our lives. I'd like to introduce Jamie Keel. Jamie's one of our, uh, I, I want to, she's a young lady here that's been in a part of the, you know, I've been at the church, I'm going on nine years and I've always known Jamie. So she's been here longer than I have. And uh, she has a story. This was her story. This is her life. Jamie? Thank you. Here, we'll trade spots. 
Um, so for those of you who don't know me, my name is Jamie Keel. Um, since I have been going here, there's a lot of new faces, and I love it. It's growing a lot. Um, but I always grew up going to this church and was raised in a Christian family with parents who, uh, can't look at them, um, with parents who <laughs> loved and supported me always. Um, I knew what was right from wrong. I went to youth group. I went to church every Sunday. I got confirmed in the eighth grade and stood up here and, and told many of you my testimony. Um, but I always struggled with perfectionism and the fear of failing and the fear of others. I had to be great at literally everything. So whether that was school, grades, singing, dance, um, anything I accomplished, my identity was definitely not in Christ and what he thought of me. And I tried to do everything on my own um, and in my own strength. I definitely didn't trust God, the creator of the universe, uh, with my life. And so I would have said that he was my savior, he, forgive, he forgave me, he gives us grace, he gives us mercy, he loves me. But I would have never said he was Lord over everything because he definitely didn't have um, reign in my heart in all of those things. And so fast forward to senior year of high school, I was rebellious and like a lot of us, anxious to graduate and just wanted to get out of small town Manson. And I didn't think my parents knew anything, which is not true. They're pretty smart. Um, and so I was just really anxious to, to get out and graduate and go to college. And so I ended up meeting a boy who I thought was everything that I wanted, smart, successful, um, but he was everything but. My freshman year of college was pretty much a blur. I was in an abusive relationship. I had dropped out of college and I was scared, broken, bruised, and running lost. During this time, um, many of you, <laughs> many of you were praying for me and I'm so thankful um, to come back to the truth because I knew, I knew I wasn't gonna be there forever. Um, so I'm really thankful for those of you who did pray for me, but, um, one day the Lord just literally took the blinders off. I had just lived a certain way and I was doing my own thing and choosing poorly and um, I just sat there and just, they just all made sense. And it just, it's like the Lord literally took blinders off my eyes and I started to see everything for what it was. Um, my abusive boyfriend, my parents who were trying to help me this whole time, friends who had reached out and I didn't want to talk to and so, by the grace of God, I was removed from that situation, and I came home to my family and to God on February 19th, 2012. It's been five years of absolutely living in surrender to Jesus Christ and trusting him. I have joy in all that I do, and I don't feel like I have to perform to earn God's love like before. So I am so thankful for his grace and mercy for a lost and broken girl like me. Um, he heals, he restores, he redeems. Thank you. Victory. We know there is 
For Jamie, this was her story. You've heard it. This is her story today. You see it. I think one of the things I see in Jamie's testimony is the fact that two things, and I want you to remember these, they're very simple, is the fact that God is not going to bless you over what you lost. He's going to bless you because of what you have left. Okay? It's not because of what was going on in my past. It's not because of the mistakes I made. It's not because of the poor decisions I, I engaged in or any of those things. But he looks at our lives, he looks at our lives and says, This is what's left. And I can do something with what's left. I can create 
with what is left. And I can form, I can, I can transform in all kinds of things that God and only God does. And it's like that widow that Elijah met. It was a small amount of flour and oil, but God blessed it. And God did something. I believe we need to be careful in this area. We can get bogged down in what we should have done or could have done in all of these things. I should have did this. I should have made this. I could have been this. Be careful about that. Because there, there's, a, that's, there's a trap in there. And it's a deadly trap. It's a trap that can, that can bind you. It can, it's a trap that will seize you and tie you up and cause you to literally fail to see what God has for you. God is interested in what you're going to uh, <clears throat> what you're going to do with what is left. So things didn't turn out for you in this area. Things didn't go right for you in this area. What are you going to do with what you've got left? John Mark went with Paul as his ministry partner. It didn't work with John Mark. A few weeks into that ministry tip, he, he says, I've had enough of this. I've had enough of getting run out of town. I've had enough of going to jail. I've had enough of these people out here trying to kill me and everything. I'm going back to my mom's house in Jerusalem. And he did. Thirty-some years later, as Paul was winding up his life and winding up his ministry, Second Timothy chapter 4 speaks of it. He says, Paul says, bring John Mark. Because he's useful to me in ministry. Something changed. That was his story. This is my story. Something changed. Let me tell you something. I'm back in Philippians just for a moment. But I tell you this, one thing I do, Paul says in verse 13, this one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to the things that are way ahead. Listen to me, church. I've seen this so many times. I could, I mean, I could close my eyes and tell you, I could write the story. I could write the story. There are people, my guess is there may be people in here right now, you're trapped because of bad decisions, you're trapped because of poor choices. And you literally are trapped. You live in those things. And I don't know why you choose to live in them, but you shouldn't live in them. Forget the past. That was my story. This is my story. God wants to rewrite your life. God is a genius at repurposing people's lives, people's lives that have been wrecked by sin, messed up by all kinds of things. God can repurpose that life, and yet there are people that refuse to do that, and they desire to live in that mess. And it's a mess. It's a mess. And not one of them is happy. Not one of them has a day in which they can say, this was a great day. Not a one. We make choices. God repurposes our life.
I'd like to ask Troy Elbert to come share a word with us. Just so you don't get up and run away, I'm not going to sing, okay? I, I want you to stick around for this. Uh, I was raised a devout Catholic, and uh, I met uh, Jeannie Aiden, my future wife, when I was in high school. And uh, let's just say she questioned me on a lot of things that I was doing, believed in, and uh, how I was, you know, being raised in the Catholic Church. Uh, we went on through high school, uh, entered into college, and, and uh, Lowell Lundstrom uh, came around in about 1987, and Jeannie, and at that time, uh, my uh, Brian Johnson, sure he's here, uh, we'd been raised uh, just down the road from each other since we were five, six years old, did everything together. So they convinced me to go to this Lowell Lundstrom crusade, and that's where I uh, committed my life to Jesus Christ there. And uh, on after that, uh, a few years, uh, Jeannie and I, uh, decided to get married, and I remember going to meet with our uh, our priest, and uh, there sits my little future wife, and we're visiting with this priest, who in my mind was, you know, to know everything and have a great understanding, and here's Jeannie asking him questions, answering his questions, and a lot of times leaving him where he couldn't answer the question, so I want you to keep in mind this question thing about how she always questions me on what I was thinking and feeling and looking, you know, for the future in my life. Well, anyway, we got married, and uh, as it's gone on sometimes with people, you, you don't, once you uh, become a Christian and you're saved, there can be uh, almost, if you will, a little bit of a high. And it's important to dig into that word and follow through and, uh, and, and persevere and serve God wholly. Well, I started to backslide a little bit, and I wasn't, I wasn't serving him wholly. Uh, now, I wasn't off doing anything bad or wrong, but uh, there came a time down the road, and it would have happened in about 1991. Uh, we were harvesting and uh, lived on the farm and everything, obviously, and we were harvesting. We uh, raised uh, uh, pigs, and so we were farrowing like 28 sows, and they were weaning them every three weeks. And I remember it was on like a Friday or Saturday that... Uh, we had uh, needed to wean these pigs, and, and uh, we'd went ahead, and during the day, I had uh, got that done, and of course, we'd been running long hours and everything, so we weren't getting much sleep, and I remember coming home that night, and it was after two sometime when I was out there filling the water, uh, where we'd brought some of these pigs over to another farm, and uh, had left some at home, and I was filling the water, and, and went in, and, and went to bed, and came out the next morning, and it you know, I, roughly it was around 5.30, and I could hear this water running, and I instantly knew what had happened. And uh, so I'm running out to, the, to this uh, barn, and I opened the door, and I grabbed a flashlight. And in this barn, uh, there would be a, a ledge that went around in there. So this water was about uh, six inches deep, you know, five and a half, six inches deep, and it's well water, so it's roughly 50 degrees or less. And here's these little pigs that are from you know, roughly, you know, under 10 pounds on up probably into the mid-20s, and there wouldn't have been many bigger than that. And you could by now see how the color had changed in their skin, and they were blue because they're in there, and if you've ever been around uh, 
you know, pigs or livestock or anything. They were just basically trying to crawl up on top of each other to hang on to life. I mean, they would fall down and they'd go underwater and they'd come up gasping. And so immediately, you know, I lost control. And I started, um, there was a wall, a partition we'd build in there, and I, I broke that open uh, to get the pigs to go through. I, I ran them back and forth probably at least five to six times, and they never once went through that, that hole. And at that time, uh, after doing this for five or six times, I thought, what is going on? What am, what am I missing here? What, what is happening? And I remember going outside and breaking down, and I thought, what, what, what am I, you know, what, what have I been, what's been leading up to this? And it just started to really hit me, and it hit me so in such a way that I thought, you know, God, I can't keep going on this way. I can't serve the world and you. And it just really struck me how I've been doing this wrong. And I thought, you know, if it takes losing all those animals to wake me up, to get me to stop serving two gods, then so be it. And the point I'm getting at is a peace that comes over when you release of what you're wanting to do in your own agenda, your own ways, and by turning it over to God and letting him take control of that. And uh, that peace that surpasses all understanding, as Christians, we try and convince non-Christians uh, to, to see this. And we can't do it because until you choose to turn of your ways and walk that other direction, it, it just can't be explained to you. The miraculous thing was I walked back inside thinking, you know what, God, if this is what it takes, as I said before, then so be it. And I remember walking back in there, and there's an opening down there that's about five to seven foot wide, and I walked along the side, and this water's five to six inches deep. These little, and like I said, there'd be a number of them under 10 pounds trying to crawl up on each other just to survive. And a lot of them had their skin was blue, I remember coming along the side and, and just walking behind him thinking, okay, God, if it's, if it's going to be all right, then you're, I mean, it's going to be you that's going to take care of it. The first time through, they, I mean, you talk about God almost, I mean, really mocking me. They basically ran through except for maybe a handful or so. And here I'd ran them back and forth those five or six times, and they wouldn't even go through that opening. And then after doing this, they begin to go through there. I walked back and got the last so many thinking, well, maybe these aren't going to make it. And sure enough, they went through onto the other side. And the amazing thing is, is that out of that group, not one of them ever died. And any of you that have been around small livestock like that know that in the fall when the weather's cool at night and then to be through that kind of stress, you know for them to make that is there's just no chance you wouldn't lose a, you know, a large amount of them. And we never lost one of them. And that comes back to the peace that God has that he wants to offer you. You know, as, as believers, we, we're trying to convince non-believers, non-Christians, to come and understand this peace, this refuge. Maybe uh, some of you kids in here have thought about a time where, uh, just kind of trying to put this in perspective, where, you know, maybe you've picked on your brother or sister, and you've made them so mad to a point that they take after you. And what do you do? You get up and run because you realize you messed up. And you're running to the house, and who are you hollering? You're hollering out for mom or dad, aren't you? Because you're thinking, I blew it. I, I pushed this too far. 
And you might even be able to feel that older brother or sister reaching out and grabbing you. Maybe they even catch you once and throw you down, and you scramble to get up and run. And you get to that door, and you open that door, and you run in, and you get a hold of mom and dad, and you're like, you know, they're coming after me, and, you know, they're going to hurt me. Well, there's that moment right in there where you know, even knew you blew it, you've got a, you've got a chance where this, you enter into this area where you know it's going to be okay. And as, even as believers, you know, we can think of, you know, around here with storms and stuff, you know, a storm shelter. I mean, the storm goes on outside, whether it's a tornado or whatever it is. And because we live in a fallen world, when we go back to Genesis with Adam and Eve and what's gone on, we live in a fallen world. We're not going to be without trials and tribulation. But as a believer, you're able to get into that storm shelter. And even though that doesn't just fix everything, it gives you that moment of peace, that peace that surpasses all understanding. You might still, you know, be battled or, or damaged or bruised or whatever, but you're going to come out of it. And in, and in a worldly way, trying to put that in perspective, we, it's so hard to, to help unbelievers understand what God has to offer. And he will give you that peace that surpasses all understanding. You know, Philippians 6, it starts out saying that uh, don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God your needs and don't forget to thank him for his answers. And if you do this, he will exp you'll experience God's peace, which is far more wonderful than the human mind can understand. His peace will keep your thoughts and your hearts quiet and rest as you trust in Christ Jesus. Each one of you has a gift. And God wants to use you for the kingdom. There's a neat thing that's going on here with everybody facilitating here. And by helping to help those that are non-Christians to understand what they can get or they can receive by knowing Jesus Christ personally, you know, there's no value we can put on that. And we have a, we have a job to do. And I just want to give God the credit. I want to thank those of you that, you know, when I started... Uh, as I look back, you know, when I started uh, dating Jeannie, you know, I was glad to hear you were praying for me. Well, you weren't praying for me out of, you were praying for me out of necessity. <laughs> and that's the power of prayer. And that's how people's lives can be changed, and you can be used for the kingdom too. Thank you. Amen. Thank you, Troy. Let me just wrap this up really quick. God values you. You are valuable to God. And in fact, I want you to know something. You play the lead role in your destiny, your testimony, all of these things. And I want, I want you to stop just for a moment. And, and as we kind of conclude this part of the service, I want you to understand something here. Have you ever stopped to realize how important you are in somebody's life. Just how important you have been influencing, working with somebody, the moment you've touched lives, the role that you've played, all of these things. You've played a role in somebody's life. And they're grateful and they're blessed. This is your life. There are no such things as, as rehearsals. Nobody can take your place. There's no delete button in your life. There are no retakes or anything like that. You have the lead role, and you influence people. 
You're an influencer. I just, I saw something uh, this week, and I, I didn't, I don't really follow this, I guess, anymore. But uh, I led Trinity Bible College for several years and uh, made a, uh, they've always had a fairly good basketball program up there for men. And um, we had to make a coaching change one year, about a year or so before I came here. It was a very difficult decision, it was a very difficult time. And we didn't have a coach necessarily in the wings waiting to replace a coach that we needed to release. And I turned to a young man that I admired so much. He was an All-American. And he was in his last, he was a senior. He had just four months to go and he'd graduate. And I turned to him and I said, Jordan, I want you to be the head coach. He says, I'm a student. I said, no, no, you are, but I think you can do it. You're the guy. All I want you to do, I don't care about wins and losses. All I want you to do is to deal with character and decency. And I want you to represent the school well. Jordan did. And as soon as he graduated, we offered him a contract, full time. He got married a couple years later, actually about a year later, we offered his wife a full-time contract to coach volleyball, women's volleyball. I was just so proud of Jordan. And I keep in touch with him. And I, I, we, we, we kind of communicate very loosely back and forth. And I, just, I was just thrilled yesterday. Uh, Jordan took the basketball team to the National Christian College. He was in the finals. He played in the final game. They came out second. It's important to get there. And he's taken them to the Elite Eight four out of those nine years. His wife has been the coach of the year. Jordan has been the coach of the year. Influence in people's lives. Jordan has influenced scores of young men in their lives because he's a man of character. He makes a difference. I want to close with just one last story. It comes from Matthew chapter 19 and it's the story of what we call the rich young ruler. Jesus met this guy and this guy was excited to meet Jesus. He was a man of wealth he had position, apparently he had a level of power. All of these things, and they were what formed his identity. He identified himself because of his wealth, his position, his power, these sort of things. He wanted to be a part of what Jesus was doing. He was a person that did good things. He was a person that seemed to know something about God. He was the ideal guy to join that disciple band. And Jesus, Jesus asked him. He wanted eternal life. But he had one problem. He loved his things more than he loved God. 
and he wouldn't let go of him. The last words that we hear about this young man are these words. He went away sad. Here's what I'm saying to you this morning. Here in Faith Community Church, whatever God is saying to you this morning, whatever God is speaking to you, listen, pay attention. God is speaking to people in here, I know he is. Do not say, I'm going to ignore this today. Maybe I'll think about this later. Maybe I'll do this later. Whatever it might be, do it today. Do not let the last words, do not allow the last words to be, he went away sad. This was my story. This is my story.